Chapter Two of the Campfire Girls at Sunrise Hill by Margaret Vandercook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Methinks you are my glass. Just across the street from the old Ashton place was another house equally old and yet wholly unlike it. For instead of being a stately, well kept up mansion with great rooms and broad halls and half an acre of garden about it, this was a cottage of the earliest New England type it was low and rambling covering a good deal of ground and yet without any porch and very little yard because as the village closed about it and elm street became a fashionable quarter the land had been gradually sold until now its white picket fence was only a dozen feet from the front door and passers-by could easily have looked inside its parlor windows save for the tall bushes that served as a shield by immemorial custom the cottage had always been painted white and green but for a good many years it had not been troubled by any paint at all but had lived as polly said on its past and like a good many persons in woodford had gotten considerably run down by the process now there were no lights at any of the front windows although it was eight o'clock in the evening but as the warm steady glow of a lamp shone from the rear of the house it was plainly occupied there was no doubt of this in the mind of the girl who stood knocking noisily at the closed door saying in an imploring voice oh do please hurry polly dear you know it is only me and that i can't bear to be kept waiting at this moment a candle was evidently being borne down the hall for the door opened so quickly afterwards that two girls one on either side of the door fell into one another's arms dear me it's the princess and she is no more ill than i am though we were told she couldn't possibly be at school today on account of her ill health the girl on the inside spoke first recovering her breath i suppose royal persons may lie abed and nurse their dispositions while poor ones have to keep on washing dishes but come on into the kitchen betty we are in there tonight and i haven't yet finished my chores she led the way with the candle down the shabby hall until both girls entered the lighted room there with a little cry of surprise betty ran over and dropped down on her knees by the side of a lounge the woman on the lounge was not so large as the girl although her brown hair showed a good deal of gray and her face looked tired and worn she had been holding a magazine in her hands but evidently had not been reading for her eyes had turned from the girl, who stood only a few feet away from her drying some cups and saucers, to the two others who had just come in without an instant's delay. I am quite all right, dear, she answered the newcomer. Only the kitchen seemed so warm and cozy after the wet day, and I was tired. Betty was too familiar with the lovely old-fashioned kitchen of her dearest friends even to think about it, but tonight she did look about her for a moment the room was the largest in the cottage the walls were of oak so dark a brown from age that they were almost black there were heavy rafters across the ceiling and swinging from them bunches of dried sweet-smelling herbs the windows had broad sills filled with pots of red geraniums and ground ivy and as they were wide open the odor of the wet spring earth outside mingled with the aromatic fragrance of the flowers an old stove was set deep into the farthest wall with a dutch oven at one side and above it a high severely plain mantel holding a number of venerable pots and pans of pewter and copper and two tall copper candlesticks 
the candles were lighted as the room was too large for the single light of the lamp on the table near the lounge polly o'neill had gone straight to her sister and putting both hands on her shoulders had pushed her steadily back inch by inch until she forced her into a large armchair molly maverneen you know i hate washing dishes like an owl does the daylight but i am not going to let you do my work and tonight you know the agreeable task of cleaning up belongs to me i asked you to leave things alone when i went to the door and i don't think you play fair polly seized a cup with such vehemence that it slipped from her hand and crashed onto the floor but neither her mother nor molly showed the least sign of surprise and only betty's eyes widened with understanding strangers always insisted that there were never twin sisters in the world so exactly alike as molly and polly o'neill not that their names had ever been intended to rhyme in this absurd fashion for they had started quite sensibly as mary and pauline but to the friends who knew them both well this idea was absurd it was true they were of the same height and their hair and eyes of the same color their noses and mouths of somewhat the same shape but with these superficial likenesses the resemblance ended anybody should have been able to see that in each detail polly was the more intense her hair was blacker and longer her eyes bluer her cheekbones a little higher with brighter color and her chin and delicate nose a trifle longer and more pointed of the two girls however molly was the prettier because her features were more regular and her expression more serene but once under the spell of her sister one never thought much of her appearance polly had a temperament and she was having an attack of it tonight. the room was fairly electric with it from some far-off irish ancestor she must have inherited it for though her father had been an irishman and had spent forty out of the fifty years of his life in ireland he had quite a different disposition and had been as amazed by polly in her babyhood as the rest of her family captain o'neill had resigned from the english army eighteen years before and crossed the ocean to spend a few years in the neighborhood of the white mountains on account of his health he had no more money than most irish gentlemen but had charming manners was extremely handsome and had soon fallen in love and married a girl twenty years younger than himself mary poindexter had been the girl most loved in woodford one of its belles and heiresses but her money had not amounted to much and soon disappeared after her marriage until now she had only the cottage in which she and her daughters live and the income earned by her work as private secretary to mr edward wharton of the wharton granite co captain o'neill had lived only until his twin daughters were eight years old and since then the girls and their mother had kept up their small home together you are dead tired and polly is cross as two sticks and poor molly does not know what to do with you would you rather i should go away i only came to tell you something wonderful betty whispered in mrs o'neill's ear the older woman shook her head no you have come just at the right time i am not very tired only my daughters chose to think so and wouldn't let me help with dinner and so as i am an obedient well-brought-up mother i am doing as i am told and polly is not in a bad humor at least i hope the girl who had been picking up the bits of broken china from the kitchen floor now straightened up and for the first time betty discovered that she must have been crying a short while before oh yes i am anything you may like to call me polly announced indifferently and i am not in the least ashamed to have the princess know it if betty had to stand all the things i have stood today she would be in a far worse humor 
she and i are not angels like mary and molly so i suppose that is the reason why we love one another part of the time and hate one another the rest i am sure i never pretend not to being dreadfully envious of the princess polly came over and sat down cross-legged on the old rug near her mother and best friend and though she smiled a little to remove the sting from her words something in her expression kept betty from answering at once in the meantime molly joined the group taking her place at the foot of the lounge the three girls were nearly the same age and the closest friends and betty probably spent nearly as much of her waking time at the cottage as she did in her own home for whenever she was lonely or bored or tired perhaps of having too much done for her she had been used to run across the street or play or work with her friends from the time they were children mrs o'neill had never seemed very much older than her daughters and had always been called mary by the three girls now betty reached over and laid one hand lightly on polly don't say we hate one another just because we quarrel now and then and both have bad tempers i never hate polly do i mary but before mrs o'neill could answer polly suddenly faced fiercely about i hate you tonight, betty she insisted and then to make her words entirely unlike her actions slipped one arm around her friend oh you know that i don't really mean i hate you i only mean that i am horribly envious and jealous of your having all the money you want and being able to do things without worry not just things for yourself but things for other people and polly bit her lips and ceased speaking both because of the note of warning in her mother's face and because the brightness had died away from betty's i wish you would understand polly that just having things does not necessarily make one happy i often think it must be nicer to be poor and to have to help like you and molly do this afternoon i was feeling quite forlorn myself as i had a kind of headache and no one came to see me and then just like magic from out our haunted chamber there appeared well i can hardly call her a good fairy she was too homely but at least a girl who told me of something so delightful that it sounds almost like a fairy tale i talked of it to father at dinner and then rushed over to tell you as i thought you might be interested but perhaps i had better wait from the foot of the lounge molly o'neill now interrupted utterly unlike either her sister or friend in her disposition her influence often held them together we do want to hear what you have to tell us betty most dreadfully just because we happen to be specially worried about something tonight is no reason why polly should be so mysterious i vote we tell you what our trouble is and then you tell us your secret polly got up from the floor she was always curiously intense not deliberately but perhaps as a part of her inheritance now she made a little bow to betty i am sorry i was rude to you princess she said gently but tell you the reason for my special tirade against poverty tonight i will not and molly shall not tell either without replying betty turned to pick up her blue cloak which had dropped from her shoulders as she knelt by the lounge it had a cap attached with a blue silk lining and this she slipped over her head it isn't worth while for me to talk of my plan tonight then she returned for if polly won't be interested you and i could never make a go of it by ourselves molly good night i promised not to stay very long passing by the lounge mrs o'neill reached out slipping her hand in betty's and drew her to a place beside her usually a girl with the three other girls there was now and then a note in mrs o'neill's voice which they seldom failed to recognize 
molly is right as betty is almost one of our family it is only fair to tell her what has put polly in her present mood the truth is dear the doctor thinks i am not very well and am needing a rest so i am being made to lie down every evening after my work by my daughters and i am sure when warm weather comes i shall be all right again you won't polly interrupted and if that is all you mean to tell betty why i shall certainly tell her everything now you have started polly went on quickly with two bright spots of color in her cheeks resting in the evenings is not going to help mother dr hawkes says she needs months and months of rest and unless she has it she will soon be having a nervous breakdown or something else that working for nearly eight years in an office supporting herself and two daughters is enough to tire any woman out then today a wonderful invitation came from my father's relatives who have never paid the least attention to us before asking mother to spend the summer with them in ireland and betty's hands were clapped eagerly together as she concluded so you are going to accept and polly's blue at the thought of being separated from you for really i can't see any reason why i should not have been told of this instead of replying polly frowned and mrs o'neill shook her head so the explanation fell to molly no mother is not going to accept that is what the trouble is and that is why polly and i sometimes feel cross with you betty because rich people never seem to be able to understand about poor ones you do what you like without thinking of the money and we can't do anything we like without thinking of it mother feels she can't afford to go looking almost as depressed as her two friends betty now turned her back deliberately on both girls to whisper in the older woman's ear oh mary won't you can't you you know how happy it would make us but she knew her answer even before it was given and also understood that polly's pride would never have agreed to let her mother accept any favor through her indeed never in all the long years of their friendship had betty ever dared do half the things she longed to do for her two friends and indeed mrs ashton often said that betty accepted far more than she was able to return since she spent so much of her time in mrs o'neill's home you are awfully foolish mary betty argued because if you should really get ill that is just what i have been saying betty dear for the past two hours polly protested forgetting the difference between herself and her friend and edging close enough to the lounge to lay her head in the other girl's lap and the worst of it is mr wharton says mother can have the holiday he will pay her salary while she is away and she only won't go because she says she can't leave molly and me alone and can't afford to pay anyone to look after us it is so foolish when we are old enough to be taking care of her i suppose she wouldn't be afraid to leave molly it is just me sometimes it does not seem quite fair to be born a twin because see how things are put into molly divided all the good got and all the bad into me so i suppose mother thinks i would set the house on fire or run away and go on the stage as i sometimes threaten so soon as her back was turned oh mavernine darling of the world the very name of lake killarney where our cousins live would make you well but again polly stopped talking because betty had seized her by both shoulders giving her a decided shake say it again to me quickly is it just because mary does not know what to do with you and molly that she won't go away and both sisters nodded silently with a cry of what sounded like delight betty rose hurriedly to her feet letting the blue cloak slip away from her for the second time 
then dancing across the kitchen she seized the two tall candlesticks from the mantelpiece and setting them down in the center of the floor afterwards adding the third with which polly had lighted their way through the hall above them she made a mystic sign by flattening the fingers of her right hand against those of her left while slowly she revolved around them chanting wahalo 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 in you lies the answer to all our difficulties to the entire amazement of her small audience End of chapter 2 Recording by Debbie R. Baker Robinson